with me to Acts chapter 13 and verse 34. Acts chapter 13, verse 34. When my daughter Megan was little, she had trouble making decisions. Uh, we would have let her and, and David choose candy or choose a toy or something like that, and she would take forever to choose. And finally, I would say with the compassionate heart of a father, uh, choose now or I'll choose for you. And, uh, you know, I was willing to choose for her, but can I tell you something? God will not choose for you. You must choose on your own to follow Jesus Christ. If you choose to follow Jesus, if you choose to repent and trust in him for eternal life, God will honor that decision. But if you choose to reject Jesus Christ, God will honor that decision as well. So what you choose to do, and if you choose to wait and you die without Christ, God will honor that decision as well. Uh, because when, when you wait to, to not decide is to decide if you die before you have the opportunity to trust in Jesus Christ. So we need uh, to make the decision to give our heart, our lives to Jesus Christ while we have the opportunity. And if you know Christ, we need to help others see the need for Jesus Christ in their lives and help them uh, come to that decision. The scripture we're looking at today, uh, Paul has been talking about, he's been giving a message at Pisidian Antioch. He's been talking about the prophets and all that they've been saying uh, the Messiah would do. But now he is turning and, and shifting a little bit in his focus. And he still mentions a couple of the prophets. But he's saying, look, uh, you need to now make a decision for Jesus Christ. It's not enough just to know about God. It's not enough just to have a mental idea or even to believe in God in some kind of a sense. Of, well, I believe God exists somewhere out there. I'm not really sure what that means, but I believe he exists. Now, it has to be more than that. It has to be a decision, a, a decision to trust Jesus with your life. And so Paul is moving them to the place of this decision, uh, and he does so by mentioning some things out of Isaiah 55 uh, and also out of Psalm 16. Uh, and he's, he's pointing them to Jesus, but he's also pointing them to the work of God in their hearts, what God is doing inside of them, and the response that they need to have to what God is doing inside of them. And so uh, we need to decide to trust Christ while we have the opportunity. And the title of my message is called to decide. Uh, so look with me at uh, Acts 13, 34. It says, as to his raising from the dead, he's con we're continuing on in Paul's sermon, as to his raising him from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. Therefore, he also says in another passage, You will not let your Holy One see decay. For David, after serving God's purposes in his own generation, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes or trust, is justified 
through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. So beware of what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away, because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you would never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. So Jesus is the resurrected Savior, as he quotes Psalm 16, uh, that says, you will not. He says, my flesh will abide in hope. In other words, Jesus is trusting God to preserve him in the grave and to raise him up. He says, you will not let your Holy One see decay. And he explains that. He says, look, this can't be talking about David because David died. He is in the grave. He is decaying. The psalm can't be talking about him. It has to be talking about a greater individual, the Messiah, who is yet to come, who would raise from the dead. And that person, by the way, is Jesus Christ. And so uh, he points them to this central truth of Christianity, but he also is calling them to decide. And how is he calling them to decide? Uh, first of all, he reveals his compassionate nearness. His compassionate nearness. In verse 34, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. Now, I want to tell you something. When I was uh, in the process of coming to faith in Jesus, uh, I didn't hear somebody saying, I'll give you the holy and, and sure promises of David, okay? But I did sense the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit in my heart, tugging upon my heart, moving me to trust in Jesus. And even though I wouldn't have known to call the holy and sure promises of David what they are, um, God was showing me through the tender uh, tugging of the Spirit upon my heart that I needed to be saved, and God had drawn near to me to show His compassion for me. Aren't you glad that God has compassion for sinners? Aren't you glad that regardless of your past, the Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew everything we would ever do, yet He, he willingly went to the cross. He set His face toward the cross. He said, no one uh, takes my life from me, I lay it down willingly. Jesus uh, willingly went to the cross for me, hallelujah, and praise his name. And he has compassion on sinners. And he draws near to us in compassion to bring us to faith in himself, in Jesus. So the Spirit draws us to bring us to faith in Jesus his compassionate nearness. By the way, if you look at the context of Isaiah 55, it says, call on the Lord while he is near. You see, God has a limited timetable for each person in this world. We do not know what, when the last day we'll live upon this earth will be. Um, people who are young sometimes pass away unexpectedly. Uh, and, and we're not assured. We don't know how we're going to pass. We don't know uh, what God is going to allow in our lives. And so while God is near, while God is dealing with us, we need to act and, and take things seriously when he draws near to us in compassion to draw us to himself. Call on him while he is near. And what will he do? He'll give you these holy and faithful 
things of David. What is he talking about with that, the holy and faithful things of David? Well, David had been, had, a promise had been made to David. You're going to have a descendant who will rule forever. Guess what his name is? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, the holy, faithful things that God had planned before the foundation of the world would be brought to fruition in the hearts and lives of people who repent and put their trust in Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? God's got a better plan for your life than you ever thought about having. God loves you, and he wants to give you the blessings, the spiritual blessings that Jesus Christ can bring to your life, and the eternal blessings that will come later as you trust in him. Now, it will not be easy. Uh, the Bible says many are the troubles of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Uh, when you trust in Jesus, you also have the opposition of the enemy. There's someone who wants to draw you aside and draw you astray. Uh, you have the opposition sometimes of this world uh, that will come against you. But I want to tell you something. All of the things that, that happen in this world to try to come against Christians, it's worth it to know Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. How can Christians have joy in the midst of trouble? It's because we know someone who brings joy to the soul. His compassionate nearness, he comes near. So if you sense the, the, the Spirit of God working upon your heart, if you sense a tugging and a desire to give your heart to Jesus, that's not by accident. That's because God's working in your heart. God himself has compassion on you and is near to you and is inviting you to repent and put your trust in Jesus. Um, as Christians, those of us who do know Christ already, we need to thank God every day for the fact that he has compassion upon us as sinners, that his mercies are new every morning. So um, how are we called to decide? Well, first of all, uh, God shows us his compassionate nearness. God shows us his urgent call, his urgent call. Uh, again, this same scripture, he has spoken in this way. Uh, I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. How is he speaking? He's spoken in this way. Well, he's quoting Isaiah 55. What do you find in, in Isaiah 55? He's calling on them urgently. He's saying, call on the Lord, name of the Lord while he is near. The evangelist Freddie Gage years ago had a book entitled All My Friends Are Dead. He was actually saved out of the underworld and, uh, and he would describe how many of his friends would come to his gospel crusades and would grip a pew and under conviction uh, by the Holy Spirit and, and would not respond. They'd go out and they'd be killed in some, something that happens out in the world. A uh, young man years ago that I was witnessing to uh, was in a tragic car accident. Uh, he was just uh, he was a teenager and uh, was uh, laying upon the street waiting for the ambulance to come and was crying out to God for salvation. We, one of the uh, ambulance drivers told the family that. And he's in heaven today as far as I know because he, he called upon Jesus. But we don't know. We, do, we just don't know when is God going to call us home. We don't know. There's an urgency to this. Sometimes people say, well, I can just do it tomorrow. I can do it next week. I can do it next month. I can do it. Uh, listen, I've got some wild oats to sow. I'll trust Jesus later on, past my young years. Listen, that's a foolish thing to do. The Bible says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. It's one of the wisest things you could do. 
And by the way, uh, this path of pursuit of sin has brought emptiness and disillusionment to our culture. Uh, when you trust Jesus in those early years and you give your life for him and you follow him, listen, you can't outgive God. If you honor him, he'll honor you. So we see that God shows himself. How does he call us to the side? He, he shows us his compassionate nearness. He shows us his urgent call. Thirdly, he shows us his greater forgiveness. He shows us his greater forgiveness. And if you look in in uh, verse 37, but one God raised up did not decay. Therefore, in other words, because of what Jesus has done in his death on the cross for sin, his resurrection, therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, that is Jesus, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. From And verse 39 tells us it's from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. It's a greater forgiveness. Now, under the Old Covenant, uh, they would bring sacrifices for sins, and, uh, but, but they had to be uh, an accidental sin, or an inadvertent sin, something you didn't intentionally break God's commandment about. Because the Bible says in the Old Testament that if you did an intentional sin, they called it a transgression, if you did a transgression, there was no provision for that under the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. The problem with that is all of us have sinned and done something we know is wrong. Intentionally, right? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves. I mean, you could see that with a toddler before they're even old enough to, to spell their name. Uh, mom and dad tells them no. What do they do? They go grab whatever it is they've just been told not to grab, right? I mean, that's just the human nature. The, the sin nature within us tends to want to do what we're told not to do. Uh, Paul talks about this in Romans 7. He says, the things I don't want to do, I do. Uh, and the things I want to do, I don't do. Woe is me. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see... The forgiveness for these intentional transgressions could only be taken care of at the cross of Calvary, where Jesus died for sin. You say, well, why was that the case? Because really, the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. <laughs> yes, they were accepted by God for forgiveness in a temporary provisional way. But they really were intended to invoke the sacrifice yet to come. And as God would look at the blood of the bull or the goat that was offered, it would remind him, not that he needed to be reminded, but he would look at the blood and he would think of the cross, of the redemption that he would bring through Jesus. Why is that the case? Why is it that Jesus' sacrifice is greater than those old sacrifices? I'll tell you this, because Jesus' sacrifice was once for all. Hebrews tells us about this. Uh, listen, there were many sacrifices offered under the Old Covenant. I mean, you just read Solomon's account of the dedication of the temple. There's a whole lot of animals uh, slaughtered in order to dedicate the temple of God. Um, but these ultimately could not do the, do the job, as, for, as we just mentioned. Uh, and, but Jesus, you see, Jesus was not just a man. He was the God-man. He was the infinite Almighty Son of God. 
all the power of the Godhead dwells in him, Colossians tells us. Uh, Hebrews tells us he's the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact imprint of his essence. Jesus had supernatural, divine power to overcome sin, to bear the penalty of our sin at the cross. An infinite price in a finite moment of time because of who he was. You see, if God were to pour out his wrath and satisfy his justice for your sin upon somebody like me, I couldn't handle it. I'd be done. And it wouldn't do you any good anyway. Because I'm not a sinless sacrifice as Jesus was. But because Jesus was who he was, an infinite suffering for all humanity, for all time, could be satisfied in a moment of time because Jesus is the infinite Son of God. There's no power or no challenge too great that he can't handle it. And so that's why the Bible says there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If you reject Jesus, you say, I don't like that. I think you ought to be able to come by any religion you want. I, I don't like the fact that, that Christianity is exclusive, and, and uh, so I, you know, I'm just going to believe that it's not. Well, you can believe that it's not, but I'm going to tell you something. There's no other way for God to deal with the problem of human sin. Only Jesus could satisfy it. And the only reason he could was because of who he was. So, I love these words that came out of Jesus' mouth. When, when Jesus finished dying on the cross, he said these words. In, in Greek, it, it was uh, tetelestai, uh, which is, it is finished. And this word, it's just one word in Greek. It was actually written on the bottom of notes that were paid in full. So in other words, if you were paying something off, when you paid that last payment, they would write tetelestai on the bottom of that uh, bill because it meant you were paid in full. It was like the stamp. Uh, this bill has been paid. Praise God. My bill has been paid. All my sin, past, present, future, was settled at the cross. As Colossians says, God nailed the charge for my sin to his cross. He died for my sin in my place. And because of that, I can have a greater forgiveness. I love what 1 John says. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from how much sin? All sin. <laughs> That's a greater forgiveness than the law could ever provide. And that's the only forgiveness that will satisfy a holy God. So, why are we called to decide and how does he call us to decide? He reveals his compassionate nearness, his urgent call, his greater forgiveness, his comprehensive offer. Look at verse 39. Everyone who believes is justified through him. Let me read that again. That's good stuff. Everyone. Who are you? Everyone. Who am I? Everyone. Everyone who believes is justified through him. It's a comprehensive offer. Now, God has always intended 
to shine his light to the world. God has always had the world on his heart. Yes, he chose the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, but he chose them to be a light to the nations so that all people could come to relationship with God. But um, the Jews of Jesus' day were very exclusive. Uh, the, the Gentiles were not considered to be, uh, they, they were second-class citizens in the eyes of many Jews. And they viewed themselves as the people of God and everybody else's outcasts. But that was not God's heart. Uh, sometimes people in, in our day uh, will say of someone else, well, God could never save such a person. Or perhaps you say about yourself, God could never save me. You don't know what my past is. You don't know what kinds of sin I've done. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. Everyone who believes is justified. What's that word justified mean? That's a great word. Great Bible word. Justify is a legal term. It's a term used in court to credit as righteousness, but it could also mean to acquit. Uh, but it, it can also mean to clothe with righteousness. Now, in the Old Testament, back in Zechariah chapter 3, uh, he, has a, he has a vision and he, he sees this, uh, the priest's name, who is Joshua, before God in these filthy robes, uh, the angel of the Lord or the messenger of the Lord, that pre-incarnate, uh, manifestation of Jesus Christ uh, comes and takes those filthy robes off and puts on a white robe fit for God's presence. That's justification. My sin is my filthy robe. Your sin is your filthy robe. But when I repent and trust in Jesus Christ, the great messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ takes my filthy garment off and puts his beautiful white spotless garment on my shoulders and it becomes the basis by which I enter the presence of God listen uh, sometimes I have the devil whisper in my ear say well, who do you think you are why do you think you'd be worthy to talk to the Lord why are you even going to God in prayer I don't disagree with him on that I just remind him that I'm not coming on my own basis I'm coming on the basis of Jesus spotless holy Perfect, pristine righteousness. Find fault with that if you can, devil. That's my basis on which to enter his presence. And listen, it's the basis of every good thing that we receive. Did you know when you become a Christian, you're not getting what you deserve. You're getting what Christ deserves. That's what justification is all about. When a, a sinner, it doesn't matter the past. How much sin did Jesus pay for? How much penalty did Jesus pay for at the cross? It's an infinite penalty. It's an infinite penalty for one person, right? Were I not to have Jesus Christ, I would spend eternity in hell. Okay? Probably continue to sin and deserve more punishment. But I would spend an eternity in hell. But because of Jesus, he took care of an infinite penalty in a, in a moment of time, and he clothed me with his righteousness. So I'm not getting what I deserve. I get what Christ deserves. Every good thing that God gives to me, it comes to me because of Christ. 
Someday when I enter into heaven, it will not be because of the good things that I've done. It will be because I've been clothed in the spotless righteousness of Jesus Christ. I've been made fit for the presence of God by his righteousness. And I'm going to tell you something. Once you repent and trust in Jesus Christ, that justification is your possession for all time. Yes, your fellowship can be broken by sin. Your fellowship can be broken, but your justification will remain. When the fellowship is broken, we're called to confess our sins. He's faithfully just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're called to repent uh, so that we don't receive the discipline of God uh, and, and, and also so that we can honor God. But justification remains. And this is something, if you get it, it will set you free. It will bring a new joy uh, to your Christian walk. I know because I've experienced, I've experienced that. I was a Christian for a long time that was just, just struggling with my own guilt and my own failure. And uh, I had no joy. And I, be, I, I came across Romans 5, which I believe is one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. I came across Romans 5, and I read, uh, if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? In other words, if I was God's enemy, unsaved, and God loved me so much he sent his son for me, how much more now that I'm his adopted child, I'm part of his family, will Jesus Christ go to bat on my behalf? How much more uh, will he continue to say? He'll continue to deliver uh, those who put their trust in him. Uh, the verse right before that says, since we've now been justified uh, by his grace, how much more shall we be delivered from God's wrath through him? Uh, so I'm delivered from wrath. I'm reconciled by Christ's power. And that reconcile is assured. If you go on to the end of the chapter, it says, Where sin abounded, there did grace much more abound. How's that so? How could God, who is righteous and holy, show grace to a sinner like me or to a sinner like you? It's because I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I could preach a message just on that. That's good stuff. Um, so Jesus calls us to decide by giving us a comprehensive offer. No matter who you are, if you will put your trust in Jesus, repent of your sin, receive that forgiveness in simple trust, you'll be justified for all time by God's grace. So we're called to decide uh, how does he call us to decide. Well, he reveals his compassionate nearness, his urgent call, his greater forgiveness, his comprehensive offer, and his sobering warning. His sobering warning. Verse 41, he quotes a scripture from the book of Habakkuk. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away, because I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. Why does Paul bring this up? Because he's just told them how urgent it is that they trust him while they have the opportunity. Now he's saying, look, I want you to understand something. The longer you resist Jesus Christ, the more danger you are in of, of being 
given over to your own heart. The Pharisees were a great example of this. Not all the Pharisees, but a, a number of the Pharisees. Um, they hated Jesus so much. They'd been resisting Jesus, but they hadn't just been resisting Jesus. They'd been resisting the Holy Spirit within, who was convicting them. And they were lashing out at Jesus. Finally, they got to the point, they were so hard-hearted, they'd been resisting him so long that they uh, saw Jesus cast out a demon. They said he cast out demons by the prince of demons, Beelzebub. He's one of the devil's crew. And Jesus says, you've blasphemed the Spirit. Now, blaspheming God the Father is one thing. Blaspheming the Lord Jesus Christ is another thing. But blaspheming the Spirit means that you're blaspheming the tender, still, small voice of the Spirit within you. And you're lashing out at Him in such a way that He withdraws. I'm going to tell you something. If the Spirit withdraws, you've got no hope. You won't come to Christ on your own. You won't be able to. Because the Bible says we need his help. We need his grace to be able to do so. Uh, so, <clears throat> so this sobering warning is, look, he says, you're, you're scoffers. You're making fun of the things of God. You're resisting the things of God. You're lashing out at the things of God. But I'm going to tell you something. There's a work that is so wonderful. But because of your rebellious heart, you'll miss it if you're not careful. He says, the work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. If you had all the information you needed to make a good decision, you still wouldn't believe it. Why? Because your heart has turned away. The Spirit is no longer striving with you. It's a sobering warning, but it is something that we need to understand. Especially we who are in America have such great blessings. We've got the Word of God. Most of us have several translations of the Word of God in our home. Uh, and and you, you've got uh, Christian radio, and you've got uh, Christian television. You've got to be careful about some of those. But, but you've got all of these blessings. I mean, churches on every corner. We have been incredibly blessed, but if we're not careful, we'll harden our hearts to the things of God, and our hearts will get to the place where we reject the very Holy Spirit, who's the only source of life for us, and we'll reject Jesus Christ by rejecting his spirit who helps us trust him. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son does not have the life. And the wrath of God remains on him. That's what the gospel of John tells us. Uh, you need Jesus Christ. You need Jesus Christ so that you can go to heaven. But you also need Jesus Christ so you can have his abundant life. Uh, you need Jesus Christ so that you can fulfill the purpose for which you were created. Paul is calling them to decide, and he mentions the compassionate nearness, the Holy Spirit's tug upon your heart, the urgent call of God, call upon him while he is near, the greater forgiveness, not just of inadvertent or accidental sins, but of all sin through the once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The comprehensive offer, everyone who believes in him is justified through him. And the sobering warning, trust him before you get too hard-hearted to do so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you tell us the truth and you tell us that there's just one way 
to heaven. There's just one way uh, to have a right standing before God, and that's through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the blood that he shed at Calvary's cross to pay for our sin, and thank you for his mighty resurrection. Father, I pray that right now you would be at work in the hearts of people in this room who need to, to repent and put their trust in Jesus. And I pray that right now they would choose to turn from their sin in their own way to follow Christ and they would receive the gift of eternal life and simple trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, for those uh, who are watching online, I pray the same thing, Father. And I pray for us as Christians to be faithful to share this powerful message with people who need Jesus. And we pray it in his name.